Act One of The Funeral or Grief a la Mode by Richard Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hired mourners at a funeral say and do a little more than they whose grief is true. Tis just so here. False flattery displays more show of sympathy than honest praise. Horace, translated by Connington. To the Right Honourable, the Countess of Albemarle. Madam, among the many novelties with which your ladyship, a stranger in our nation, is daily entertained, you have not yet been made acquainted with the poetical English liberty, the right of dedication, which entitles us to a privilege of celebrating whatever, for its native excellence, is the just object of praise, and is an ancient charter by which the muses have always a free access to the habitation of the graces. Hence it is that this comedy waits on your ladyship, and presumes to welcome you amongst us. Though indeed, madam, we are surprised to see you bring with you what we thought was of our own growth only, an agreeable beauty. Nay, we must assure you that we cannot give up so dear an article of our glory, but assert it by our right in you. For if tis a maxim founded on the noblest human law, that of hospitality, that every soil is a brave man's country, England has a very just pretense of claiming us a native a daughter of Mr. Scrivenmore. But your ladyship is not only endeared to us by the great services of your father, but also by the kind offices of your husband, whose frank carriage falls in with our genius, which is free, open, and unreserved. In this, the generosity of your tempers makes you both excel in so peculiar a manner that your good actions are their own reward. Nor can they be returned with ingratitude, for none can forget the benefits you confer so soon as you do yourselves. But ye have a more indisputable title to a dramatic performance than all these advantages, for you are yourselves in a degenerate low age the noblest characters which that fine passion that supports the stage has inspired. And as you have practised as generous a fidelity as the fancies of poets have ever drawn in their expecting lovers, so may you enjoy as high a prosperity as ever they have bestowed on their rewarded. This you may possess in an happy security, for your fortunes cannot move so much envy as your person's love. I am, madam, your ladyship's most devoted humble servant, Richard Steele. Preface The rehearsal of this comedy was honoured with the presence of the Duke of Devonshire, who is as distinguished by his fine understanding as high quality. The innocence of it moved him to the humanity of expressing himself in its favour. Tis his manner to be pleased where he is not offended, a condescension which delicate spirits are obliged to for their own ease, for they would have but a very ill time of it if they suffered themselves to be diverted with nothing but what could bear their judgment. That elegant and illustrious person will, I hope, pardon my gratitude to the town, which obliges me to report so substantial a reason for their approbation of this play, as that he permitted it, 
but I know not in what words to thank my fellow soldiers for their warmth and zeal in my behalf, nor to what to attribute their undeserved favour, except it be that tis habitual to them to run to the succour of those they see in danger. The subject of the drama, tis hoped, will be acceptable to all lovers of mankind, since ridicule is partly levelled at a set of people who live in impatient hopes to see us out of the world. A flock of ravens that attend this numerous city for their carcasses. But indeed, tis not in the power of any pen to speak em better than they do themselves. As, for example, on a door I just now passed by, a great artist thus informs us of his cures upon the dead. W. W., known and approved for his art of embalming, having preserved the corpse of a gentlewoman, sweet and entire, thirteen years, without embowling, and has reduced the bodies of several persons of quality to sweetness, in Flanders and Ireland, after nine months' putrefaction in the ground, and they were known by their friends in England. No man performeth the like. He must needs be strangely in love with this life, who is not touched with this kind invitation to be pickled. And the noble operator must be allowed a very useful person for bringing old friends together. Nor would it be unworthy his labour to give us an account at large of the sweet conversation that arose upon meeting such an entire friend as he mentions. But to be serious, is there anything, but its being downright fact, could make a rational creature believe to a possible to arrive at this fantastic posthumous folly. Not at the same time, but that it were buffoonery rather than satire, to explode all funeral honours. But then it is certainly necessary to make him such that the mourners should be in earnest, and the lamented worthy of our sorrow. But this purpose is so far from being served, that it is utterly destroyed by the manner of proceeding among us, where the obsequies, which are due only to the best and highest of human race, to admonish their short survivors that neither wit nor valour, nor wisdom nor glory can suspend our fate, are prostituted and bestowed upon such as have nothing in common with men but their mortality. But the dead man is not to pass off so easily, for his last thoughts are also to suffer dissection and it seems there is an art to be earned to speak our own sense in other men's words. And a man in a gown that never saw his face shall tell you immediately the design of the deceased, better than all his old acquaintance. Which is so perfect and hocus-pocus that, without you can repeat such and such words, you cannot convey what is in your hands into another's. But far be it from any man's thought to say that there are not men of strict integrity of the long robe, though it is not everybody's good fortune to meet with them. However, the daily legal villainies we see committed will also be esteemed things proper to be prosecuted by satire. Nor could our ensuing legislative do their country a more seasonable office than to look into the distresses of an unhappy people who groan perhaps in as much misery under entangled as they could do under broken laws, nor could there be a reward high enough assigned for a great genius, if such may be found, who has capacity sufficient to glance through the false colours that are put upon us, and propose to the English world a method of making justice flow in an uninterrupted stream. There is so clear a mind in being, whom we will name in words, that of all men breathing can be only said of him, 
tis he that is excellent. Whether he trains for pleading or essays, to practice law or frame some graceful lays. Horace, translated by Connington. Other enemies that may arise against this poor play are indeed less terrible, but much more powerful than these, and they are the ladies. But if there is anything that argues a soured man who lashes all for Lady Brompton, we may hope there will be seen also a devoted heart that esteems all for Lady Charlotte. Nature's deserted and dramatic art to dazzle now the eye has left the heart. Gay lights and dresses, long extended scenes, demons and angels moving in machines, all that can now or please or fright the fair may be performed without a writer's care and is the skill of carpenter not player old shakespeare's days could not thus far advance but what's his buskin to our latter dance in the mid-region a silk youth to stand with that unwieldy engine at command gorged with intemperate meals while here you sit well may you take activity for wit fie let confusion on such dullness seize blush you're so pleased as we that so we please but we still kind to your inverted sense do most unnatural things once more dispense for since you're still preposterous in delight our author made a full house to invite a funeral a comedy to-night nor does he fear that you will take the hint and let the funeral his own be meant no in old england nothing can be won without a faction good or ill be done to own this our frank author does not fear but hopes for a prevailing party here he knows he's numerous friends nay knows they'll show it and for the fellow-soldier save the poet dramatis personae lord brompton read by todd lord hardy son to lord brompton in love with lady charlotte read by rob marland mr campley in love with lady harriet read by thomas peter mr trusty steward to lord brompton read by campbell shelp cabinet read by son of the exiles mr sable an undertaker read by avai puzzle a lawyer read by lian yao trim servant to lord hardy read by joseph tabler tom the lawyer's clerk read by alan mapstone lady brompton widow read by beth thomas lady charlotte orphan left in ward to lord brompton read by devora allen lady harriet her sister left in ward to lord brompton read by phone mademoiselle de parle read by the story girl tadelaide lady brompton's woman read by sonia mrs Vardenkale read by t j burns kate matchlock read by carol pelster servant read by serendipity one 
First Lady read by Bavia. Second Lady read by Sarah Hale. Third Lady read by Eva Davis. Fourth Lady read by Caroline. Fifth Lady read by Lian Yao. First Soldier read by Major Toast. Second Soldier read by Sandra Schmidt. Matchlock, a soldier, read by Lian Yao. Rag, soldier, read by Mr. Rogers. Tatter, a soldier, read by Robin Carno. Bumpkin, soldier, read by Peter Strom. Clump, a soldier, read by Lian Yao. Pate, singer, read by Sandra Schmidt. Gravedigger, read by Eva Davis. Boy, read by Nemo. Jimmy Bowen, read by Alan Mapstone. Woman, read by Bavia. Stage directions, read by Chris Cartwright. Act One, Scene, Covent Garden. Enter Cabinet, Sable, and Campley. I burst into laughter. I can't bear to see writ over an undertaker's door dresses for the dead and necessaries for funerals ha 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 well gentlemen tis very well i know you are of the laughers the wits that take the liberty to deride all things that are magnificent and solemn nay but after all i can't but admire sable's nice discerning on the superfluous cares of mankind that could lead them to the thought of raising an estate by providing horses equipage and furniture for those that no longer need em but is it not strangely contradictory that men can come to so open so apparent an hypocrisy as in the face of all the world to hire professed mourners to grieve lament and follow in their stead their nearest relations and suborn others to do so by art what they themselves should be prompted to by nature that's reasonably enough said but they regard themselves only in all they act for the deceased and the poor dead are delivered to my custody, to be embalmed, slashed, cut, and dragged about, not to do them honour, but to satisfy the vanity or interest of their survivors. Campley, aside to cabinet. This fellow's every way an undertaker. How well and luckily he talks. His prating so aptly has methinks something more ridiculous in it than if he were absurd but as mr campless says how could you dream of making a fortune from so chimerical a foundation as the provision of things wholly needless and insignificant alas gentlemen the value of all things under the sun is merely fantastic we run we strive and purchase things with our blood and money quite foreign to our intrinsic real happiness and which have a being in imagination only, as you may see by the pudder that is made about precedence, titles, court favour, maiden heads, and china ware. Ay, Mr. Sable, but all those are objects that promote our joy, are bright to the eye, or stamp upon our minds pleasure and self-satisfaction. You are extremely mistaken, sir. 
for one would wonder to consider that after all our outcries against self-interested men there are few very few in the whole world that live to themselves but sacrifice their bosom bliss to enjoy a vain show and appearance of prosperity in the eyes of others and there is often nothing more inwardly distressed than a young bride in her glittering retinue or deeply joyful than a young widow in her weeds and black train of both which the lady of this house may be an instance for she has been the one and is i'll be sworn the other you talk mr sable most learnedly i have the deepest learning sir experience remember your widow cousin that married last month ay but how could you imagine she was in all that grief and hypocrite could all those shrieks those swoonings that rising falling bosom be constrained you're uncharitable sable to believe it what colour what reason had you for it first sir her carriage in her concerns with me for i never yet could meet with a sorrowful relict but was herself enough to make an hard bargain with me yet i must confess they have frequent interruptions of grief and sorrow when they read my bill but as for her nothing she resolved that looked bright or joyous should after her love's death approach her all her servants that were not coal black must turn out a fair complexion made her eyes and heart ache she'd none but downright jet and to exceed all example she hired my mourning furniture by the year and in case of my mortality tied my son to the same article so in six weeks time ran away with a young fellow prithee push on briskly mr cabinet now is your time to have this widow for tattle-age tells me she always said she'd never marry as you say that's generally the most hopeful sign i tell you sir it is an infallible one you know those professions are only to introduce discourse of matrimony and young fellows but i swear i could not have confidence even after all our long acquaintance and the mutual love which his lordship who indeed has now been so kind as to leave us has so long interrupted to mention a thing of such a nature so unseasonably unseasonably why i tell you tis the only season granting her sorrow unfeigned when would you speak of passion but in the midst of passions there's a what do you call a crisis the lucky minute that's so talked of is a moment between joy and grief which you must take hold of and push your fortune but get you in and you'll best read your fate in the reception mrs tattlade gives you all she says and all she does nay her very love and hatred are mere repetition of her ladyship's passions i'll say that for her she's a true lady's woman and is herself as much a second-hand thing as her clothes but i must beg your pardon gentlemen my people are come i see exeunt cabinet and campley enter sable's men where in the name of goodness have you all been have you brought the sawdust and tar for embalming have you the hangings and the sixpenny nails and my lord's coat of arms enter servant yes sir and had come sooner but i went to the heralds for a coat for alderman gathergrace that died last night 
He has promised to invent one against tomorrow. Ah, Pox, take some of our sits. The first thing after their death is to take care of their birth. Pox, let him bear a pair of stockings. He's the first of his family that ever wore one. Well, come you that are to be mourners in this house. Put on your sad looks and walk by me that I may sort you. Ha! You! A little more upon the dismal. Forming their countenances. This fellow has a good mortal look. Place him near the corpse. That wainscot face must be on top of the stairs. That fellow is almost in a fright. It looks as if he were full of some strange misery at the entrance of the hall. So. But I'll fix you all myself. Let's have no laughing now on any provocation. Makes faces. Look yonder, that hale, well-looking puppy. You ungrateful scoundrel, did not I pity you, take you out of a great man's service, and show you the pleasure of receiving wages? Did not I give you ten, then fifteen, now twenty shillings a week, to be sorrowful? And the more I give you, I think the gladder you are. Enter a boy. Sir, the grave-digger of St. Timothy's in the fields would speak with you. Let him come in. Enter grave-digger. I carried home to your house the shroud the gentleman was buried in last night. Could not get his ring off very easily. Therefore I brought the finger and all. And, sir, the sexton gives his service to you, and desires to know whether you'd have any bodies removed or not. If not, he'll let them lie in their graves a week longer. Give him my service, I can't tell readily. But our friend, tell him, Dr. Passport, with the powder, has promised me six or seven funerals this week. I'll send to our country farm at Kensington Gravel Pits, and our city house in Warwick Lane for news. You shall know time enough. Hark ye, be sure there's care taken to give my lady's languishes woman a fee to keep out that young fellow came last from Oxford. He'll ruin us all. Enter Goody Trash. I wonder, Goody Trash, you could not be more punctual when I told you I wanted you and your two daughters to be three virgins to-night to stand in white about my lady Catherine Grissel's body, and you know you were privately to bring her home from the man midwife's, where she died in childbirth, to be buried like a maid. But there is nothing minded. Well, I have put off that till to-morrow. Go and get your bag of brick-dust and your whiting. Go and sell to the cookmaids. Know who has surfeited about town. Bring me no bad news, none of your recoveries again. And you, Mr. Blockhead, I warrant you have not called at Mr. Pestle's, the apothecary. Will that fellow never pay me? I stand bound for all the poison in that starving murderer's shop. He serves me just as Dr. Quibus did, who promised to write a treatise against water gruel, a damned healthy slop that has done me more injury than all the faculty. Look you now, you are all upon the sneer. Let me have none but downright stupid countenances. I have a good mind to turn you all off and take people out of the playhouse. But hang em, they are as ignorant of their parts as you are of yours. They never act but when they speak, when the chief indication of the mind is in the gesture, or indeed in case of sorrow in no gesture, except you were to act a widow or so. But yours, you dolts, is all in dumb show. Dumb show? I mean expressive, eloquent show, as who can see such an horrid, ugly fizz as that fellow's and not be shocked, offended, and killed of all joy while he beholds it? But we must not loiter. 
ye stupid rogues whom i have picked out of all the rubbish of mankind and fed for your eminent worthlessness attend and know that i speak you this moment stiff and immutable to all sense of noise mirth or laughter makes mouths at them as they pass by him to bring them to a constant countenance so they are pretty well pretty well enter trusty and lord brumpton twas fondness sir and tender duty to you who have been so worthy and so just a master to me made me stay near you they left me so and there i found you wake from your lethargic slumber on which i will assume an authority to beseech you sir to make just use of your revived life in seeing who are your true friends and knowing her who has so wrought upon your noble nature as to make it act against itself in disinheriting your brave son sure tis impossible she should be such a creature as you tell me my mind reflects upon ten thousand endearments that plead unanswerably for her her chaste reluctant love her easy observance of all my wayward humours to which she would accommodate herself with so much ease i could scarce observe it was a virtue in her she hid her very patience it was all art sir or indifference to you for what i say is downright matter of fact why didst thou ever tell me it oh why not in my lifetime for i must call it so nor can i date a minute mine after her being false all past that moment is death and darkness why didst thou not tell me then i say because you were too much in love with her to be informed nor did i ever know a man that touched on conjugal affairs could ever reconcile the jarring humours but in a common hatred of the intermeddler but on this most extraordinary occasion which seems pointed out by heaven itself to disengage you from your cruelty and banishment of an innocent child i must i will conjure you to be concealed and but contain yourself and hearing one discourse with that cursed instrument of all her secrets, that Tadlaid, and you'll see what I tell you. You'll call me then your guardian and good genius. Well, you shall govern me. But would I had died in earnest ere I'd known it. My head swims, as it did when I fell into my fit, at the thoughts of it how dizzy a place is this world you live in all human life's a mere vertigo ay ay my lord fine reflections fine reflections but that does no business thus sir will stand concealed and here i doubt not a much sincerer dialogue than usual between vicious persons for a late accident has given a little jealousy which makes them o'eract their love and confidence in each other they retire enter widow and tatelaide meeting and running to each other oh tatelaide his and our hour is come i always said by his churchyard cove you'd bury him but still you were impatient nay thou hast ever been my comfort my confidant my friend and my servant 
and now I'll reward thy pains, for though I scorn the whole sex of fellows, I'll give him hopes for thy sake. Every smile, every frown, every gesture, humour, caprice, and whimsy of mine shall be gold to thee, girl. Thou shalt feel all the sweet and wealth of being a fine, rich widow's woman. Oh, how my head runs my first year out, and jumps to all the joys of widowhood! If thirteen months hence a friend should haul one to a play one has a mind to see, what pleasure twill be when my Lady Brumpton's footman's called, who kept a place for that very purpose, to make a sudden insurrection of fine wigs in the pit and side-boxes. Then, with a pretty sorrow in one's face, and a willing blush for being stared at, one ventures to look round and bow to one of one's own quality. Thus, very directly, to a smug, pretending fellow of no fortune, Thus, as scarce seeing him, to one that writes lampoons. Thus, fearfully, to one one really loves. Thus, looking down, to one's woman acquaintance, from box to box, thus, with looks differently familiar. And when one has done one's part, observe the actors do theirs, but with my mind fixed not on those I look at, but on those that look at me. Then the serenades, the lovers. Oh, madam, you make my heart bound within me. I'll warrant you, madam, I'll manage them all. And indeed, madam, the men are really very silly creatures. There's no such hard matter. They, rulers, <laughs> they, governors, I warrant you indeed. Ay, Tatelaide, they imagine themselves mighty things, but government founded on force only is a brutal power. We rule them by their affections, which blinds them into belief that they rule us, or at least are in the government with us. But in this nation our power is absolute. Thus, thus we sway. Playing her fan. A fan is both the standard and the flag of England. I laugh to see the men go on our errands, strut in great offices, live in cares, hazards, and scandals, to come home and be fools to us in brags of their dispatches, negotiations, and their wisdom, as my good dear deceased used to entertain me, which I, to relieve myself from, would lisp some silly request, pat him on the face. He shakes his head at my pretty folly, calls me simpleton, gives me a jewel, and then goes to bed, so wise, so satisfied and so deceived but i protest madam i've always wondered how you could accomplish my young lord's being disinherited why tatty you must know my late lord how prettily that sounds my late lord but i say my late lord fribble was generosity i pressed him there and whenever you by my order had told him stories to my son-in-law's disadvantage in his rage and resentment i whose interest lay otherwise always fell on my knees to implore his pardon and with tears sighs and importunities for him prevailed against him besides this you know i had when i pleased fits fits are a mighty help in the government of a good-natured man but in an ill-natured fellow have a care of him he'll hate you for your natural infirmities will remember your face in its distortion and not value your return of beauty oh rare madam your ladyship's a great headpiece but now dear madam is the hard task if i may take the liberty to say it to enjoy all freedoms and seem to abstain to manage the number of pretenders and keep the disobliged from prating 
never fear tatelaide while you have riches if you affront one to abuse you can give hopes to another to defend you these maxims i have been laying up all my husband's lifetime for we must provide against calamities but now madam a fine young gentleman with a red coat that dances you may be sure the happy man if it be in fate that there is an happy man to make me an unhappy woman shall not be an old one again age and youth married is the cruelty in dryden's virgil where mezentius ties the dead and living together i'm sure i was tied to a dead man many a long day before i durst bury him but the day is now my own yet now i think on tatelaide be sure to keep an obstinate shyness to all our old acquaintance let em talk of favours if they please if we grant em still they'll grow tyrants to us if we discard em the chaste and innocent will not believe we could have confidence to do it were it so and the wise if they believe it will applaud our prudence ay madam i believe madam i speak madam but my humble sense mr cabinet would marry you marry me no tatelaide he that is so mean as to marry a woman after an affair with her will be so base as to upbraid that very weakness he that marries his wench will use her like his wench such a pair must sure live in a secret mutual scorn of each other and wedlock is hell if at least one side does not love as it would be heaven if both did and i believe it's so much heaven as to think it was never enjoyed in this world enter a woman a gentleman to mrs tatelaide go to him exit tatelaide bless me how careless and open have i been to this subtle creature in the case of cabinet she's certainly in his interests we people of condition are never guarded enough against those about us they watch when our minds boil over with joy or grief to come in upon us how miserable it is to have one one hates always about one and when one can't endure one's own reflection upon some actions who can bear the thoughts of another upon em but she has me by deep deep secrets the italians they say can readily remove the too much entrusted oh their pretty scented gloves this wench i know has played me false and horned me in my gallants oh italy i could resign all my female english liberty to thee for thy much dearer female pleasure revenge enter tatelaide well what's the matter dear tatty the matter madam why madam councillor puzzle is come to wait on your ladyship about the will and the conveyance of the estate there must it seems be no time lost for fear of things fie fie madam you a widow these three hours and not looked on a parchment yet oh impious to neglect the will of the dead as you say indeed there is no will of an husband so willingly obeyed as his last but i must go in and receive him in my formalities leaning on a couch as necessary a posture as his going behind his desk when he speaks to a client but do you bring him in hither till i am ready exit mr counsellor mr counsellor enter puzzle and clerk servant good madam tatelaide my ancient friend is gone but business must be minded i told my lady twice or thrice as she lies in dumb grief on the couch within that you were here but she regarded me not however since you say this of such moment i'll venture to introduce you please but to repose here a little while i step in for methinks i would a little prepare her 
Alas, alas, poor lady. Exit Tatelade. Oh, damned hypocrites. Well, this noble's death is a little sudden. Therefore, pray, let me recollect. Open the bag, good Tom. Now, Tom, thou art my nephew, my dear sister Kate's only son, and my heir. Therefore, I will conceal from thee on no occasion anything, for I would enter thee into business as soon as possible. Know then, child, that the lord of this house was one of your men of honour and sense, who lose the latter in the former, and are apt to take all men to be like themselves. Now, this gentleman entirely trusted me, and I made the only use a man of business can of a trust. I cheated him. For I, imperceptibly, before his face, made his whole estate liable to an hundred per annum for myself, for good services, etc. As for legacies, they are good or not, as I please. For, let me tell you, a man must take pen, ink, and paper, sit down by an old fellow, and pretend to take directions. But a true lawyer never makes any man's will but his own. And as the priest of old among us got near the dying man, and gave all to the church, so now the lawyer gives all to the law. Aye, sir, but priests then cheated the nation by doing their offices in an unknown language. True, but ours is a way much surer, for we cheat in no language at all, but loll in our own coaches, eloquent in gibberish and learned in juggle. Pull out the parchment, there's the deed. I made it as long as I could. Well, I hope to see the day when the indenture shall be the exact measure of the land that passes by it, for tis a discouragement to the gown that every ignorant rogue of an heir should, in a word or two, understand his father's meaning, and hold ten acres of land by half an acre of parchment. Nay, I hope to see the time when that there is, indeed, some progress made in shall be wholly effected, and by the improvement of the noble art of tautology, every inn in Hoban and inn of court. Let others think of logic, rhetoric, and... I know not what impertinence, but mind thou, tautology. What's the first excellence in a lawyer? Tautology. What the second? Tautology. What the third? Tautology. As an old pleader said of action. <clears throat> but turn to the deed. Pulls out an immeasurable parchment. For the will is of no force, if I please, for he was not capable of making one after the former as I managed it, upon which account I now wait upon my lady. By the way, do you know the true meaning of the word, a deed? Aye, sir, a deed is as if a man should say the deed. Right, tis emphatically so called, because after it all, deeds and actions are of no effect, and you have nothing to do but hang yourself, the only obliging thing you can then do. But I was telling you the use of tautology. Read toward the middle of that instrument. Clark reads. I, the said Earl of Brompton, do give, bestow, grant, and bequeath, over and above the said premises, all the sites and capital message called by the name of Otham, and all outhouses, barns, stables, and other edifices and buildings, yards, orchards, gardens, fields, 
arbors trees lands earths meadows greens pastures feedings woods underwoods ways waters watercourses fishings ponds pools commons common of pasture paths heath thickets profits commodities and emoluments with their and every of their appurtenances puzzle nods and sneers as the synonymous words are repeating whom lord brompton scornfully mimics whatsoever to the said capital message and sight belonging or in any wise appertaining or with the same heretofore used occupied or enjoyed accepted executed known or taken part as parcel or member of the same containing in the whole by estimation four hundred acres of the large measure or thereabouts be the same more or less all and singular which the said site capital message and other the premises with their and every of their appurtenances are situate lying and being hold hold good tom you do come on indeed in business but don't use your nose enough in reading reads in a ridiculous law tone until out of breath why you're quite out you read to be understood let me see it i the said earl now again suppose this were to be in latin runs into latin terminations making latin is only making it no english ego predict Comes de Brompton, totas meas barnus, aut hausas et stablas, yardos. But there needs no further perusal. I now recollect the whole. My lord, by this instalment, disinherits his son utterly, gives all to my lady, and moreover, grants the wards of two fortune wards to her. It est to be sold by her, which is the subject of my business to her ladyship, who, methinks, a little overdoes the affair of grief in letting me wait thus long on such welcome articles. But here. Enter Tatelaide, wiping her eyes. I have in vain done all I can to make her regard me. Pray, Mr. Puzzle, you're a man of sense. Come in yourself and speak reason, to bring her to some consideration of herself, if possible. Tom, I'll come down to the hall to you. Dear madam, lead on exeunt clerk one way puzzle and tatelade another lord brompton and trusty advance from their concealment after a long pause and staring at each other trusty on thy sincerity on thy fidelity to me thy friend thy patron and thy master answer me directly to one question am i really alive am i that identical that numerical that very same lord brompton that that very lord that very lord brompton the very generous honest and good lord brompton who spent his strong and riper years with honour and reputation but in his age of decay declined from virtue also that very lord brompton 
who buried a fine lady who brought him a fine son, who is a fine gentleman. But in his age that very man, unreasonably captivated with youth and beauty, married a very fine young lady, who has dishonored his bed, disinherited his brave son, and dances o'er his grave. Oh, that damned tautologist, too! That puzzle and his irrevocable deed! Pausing. Well, I know I do not really live, but wander o'er the place where once I had a treasure. I'll haunt her, trusty, gaze in that false beauteous face, till she trembles, till she looks pale, nay, till she blushes. Aye, aye, my lord, you speak a ghost very much. There's flesh and blood in that expression, that false beauteous face. Then since you see my weakness, be your friend, and arm me with all your care and all your reason. If you'll condescend to let me direct you, you shall cut off this rotten limb, your false disloyal wife, and save your noble parts, your son, your family, your honor. Short is the date in which ill acts prevail, but honesty's a rock can never fail. End of Act One